Um, we're just going to dive right in. So, again, if you don't have a Bibles yet, raise your hands and someone in the back will be glad to get them for you. But we're going to be going through Revelation 19, starting in verse 11 um, through 20, the first few passages of first few mes- verses of chapter 20. So, if you'll open now to Revelation 19, verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. It is a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So we see John, this vision and all, all I've thought about is this vision of what he is seeing of, of Christ coming on, on a white horse. And I, we don't know if he's truly going to be on a white horse, if it's truly just a vision. But all the same, it's going to be Jesus coming in through the clouds. And I look back, and in Matthew 24, I, I, we recall that Jesus speaks of his coming. And he's told his disciples, and, and we've known this, and those of us who have read the Bible and are his recognize this and he says in chapter or chapter 24 of Matthew verse 29 immediately after the tribulation of those days the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the sign of the son of man and all of these tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven with a power and great glory and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the earth to the other. There should be peace in our hearts knowing that he is coming back. We're living in this time, that time that we read those comparisons before he came to give us that example of who, to be, who we are supposed to be and act. We're supposed to be Jesus. In that time, there's going to be tribulation, though, and there's going to be hard times, and we know that they're suffering. They're, in America, we suffer a little bit different than obviously those in small churches in Iraq and China and Iran that are just struggling to preach the word. They don't get the opportunities like this to be in this time of worship together. But there is suffering. There is frustration on our hearts as we see the sadness that is taking place in the world that we live in. Um, as we talked about, he, he's talking about being led astray and the wars and the famines and the false prophet that's going to come. But what struck me quite profoundly was that his, the kingdom that we live in right now, we'll say America, this nominal Christian world that we live in, 
we say there's many out there that say they're Christians, and um, but go back to Galatians five, and do you see the fruit? Probably not. But we were a country established on biblical principles, but yet that's most of those have fallen far away, and we fight. There's so much infighting right now, and I'm not going to get into politics. I don't like it personally. But there's so much strife and fight in, 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 the, poli- in the political climate and world that we live in right now of wanting to legislate morality. And that's all good. It's all fine and good. It, it's good to have more moral, better morals. But as, as we legislate this and, and, want to, and want to do this, and like I said, it's not a bad thing, but this is not Christ's goal for the church. We're not put here to create a perfect world or even a perfect country for that matter. This is not Christ's goal for the church. And for there's a few of us that have been studying, um, going through this book that we've been talking um, alone with God. It's a prayer study written by John MacArthur. So I'm going to read a passage out of this. And it was perfectly timely because the passage, the chapters we read this week, this last week, and we met Wednesday was about um, your kingdom come as we're reading through the <clears throat> through the Lord's Prayer. I'll start just above. Although changing our society by calling it back to a safer morality is a noble goal, this has never been Christ's goal for His church, like I just said. The church has but one mission in this world, to lead people destined to spend eternity in hell to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and an eternity in heaven. If people die in a communist government or a democracy, under a tyrant or a benevolent dictator, believing homosexuality is right or wrong, or believing abortion is a woman's fundamental right to choose or simply mass murder, that has no bearing on what they will on where they will spend eternity. If they never knew Christ and never embraced him as their Lord and Savior, they will spend eternity in hell. Jesus said it himself as we go, as we look at John 18, 36, of where his, where the kingdom is. Jesus answered as he's speaking to Pilate. Picture this. The Jews, everyone's trying to have him killed. And Jesus answers, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants who are out there right now, my servants would have been fighting that I may not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into this world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is in the truth listens to my voice. The truth is we're in need of a Savior. And we have this great opportunity right now, all of us, and I'm going to spin back around to this at the end, to profess Christ to this dying world. Again, we go back to this, say the word again, this phrase again, this legislating morality, speaking morality. Yeah, it's good that we do this with our families and, and we need to encourage and build up those good morals, good Christian, biblical-based morals. But it's not going to happen. I'm telling you right now, it is not going to happen in this time right now in this world. We can fight it all we want. But at this time, God has allowed Satan 
to reign in this world right now, and we need to come to grips with that and just know that our job is not to create more rules and laws to prevent things from happening. As much as we would love to do that, our job is to tell those lost and dying people and live an example to those lost and dying people so that they would see God's light, Jesus' light inside of us, and know that that's the answer, not a new set of rules. So, in 1 Corinthians 5, we know that what this is right now, what they're seeing in us, um, Christ followers, is foolishness. It's, it's folly to those who are dying right now. And again, I go back to, yes, call me a fool. Call me a fool for Christ. Because that's more important than anything else I could be doing, that any of us could be doing right now. So, <clears throat> as I... Just have a little deep now. It's just going to get in the way. So, we see in, as I go back to Revelation 19, what we just read, Christ coming. He's coming to... He's in this first, in this second, the first of the second comings of Christ. He's coming to establish this kingdom, but how is he going to do it? If we go back now to chapter 19, now we're going to be in verse 17, and we're going to be 17 through 20, verse 3. So then I saw an angel standing in the sun. And with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come, gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it, false prophet who is in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain, and he seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit, and shut it and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. So we see this picture of an army gathering and we have our our vision of what an army looks like i mean we do live in a in a great country that has a fantastic army <laughs> it's nothing at all like the army of christ of jesus that's going to come but we see them preparing this battle this like i said this worldly army and we can't even fathom as you picture this army of angels they're battling right now above us now these angels they're going to come down with christ when the clouds open up on this day. And what I found as I, as, I, as I read this and what was revealed to me, I don't know how many times I've read in the last two weeks this passage. We look and in 
sorry, go back to it. In 1918, sorry. And I saw the beast and the kings, um, and the beast, it was right here in verse 19. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him was sitting on the horse and against his army. And then the next verse is, and the beast was captured. There's no war. Smited just like that. I look back, I'm trying to picture, trying to put this into perspective. And I go back to those of us who were alive at the time. I was in high school, but in 1990, we had a Gulf War, the Gulf War in Iraq. It lasted 43 days. That's probably what, there's other wars that have lasted shorter Lots of wars listed in the Bible that have lasted shorter time than that. But the battle in Revelation 20 and 21 is over immediately. There's no, nothing to compare. The beast and the false prophet are seized and taken into that lake immediately, and everyone's just wiped out. I can't imagine what it's going to be like. And it scares me to think that I, I don't even want to be there. As much as it would be awesome to see it, be a little bit fearful too and saddening, but great to see God coming and taking out this army that's that's rising up against him that that's never going to win. But then we go into another aspect of it, and this this is the sad this is the even more sad part of it, and that we have to really our, I pray that our hearts break for this. We saw last week in Revelation 19, 1 through 10 about the marriage supper of the Lamb. And those of us who get to be a part of that and how great that's going to be. But you recognize there's two suppers that are going to take place. Those for the believers, those us who are following Christ. But then there's that other great supper of the birth here that the people don't get to be a part. They'll be a part of it. And this is dark and it, it seems like, okay, God, hold on, I'm getting too far ahead. This supper is going to be the birds and the beast devouring bodies. And it sounds horrible, and it is. But what's more horrible is those people that don't know Christ that are going to be a part of that feast that are going to go into that pit of hell also on the second death. This is our opportunity. As a large part of what, I've of what has been revealed to me through this whole study is too often in our mentality, our our Christian thoughts, and I'm not saying everyone here, but I, I can admit that I used to think this way, that when you look at Revelation and this battle and God coming to wipe everyone out is thinking along the lines of, go get them, God. Let's bring it on. Get it over with. Come back. Get all these. But no, it's been in the last few months that we've been going through this, it's been heavy on my heart to think we need to be praying for these people. These people are going to die. And it's our responsibility. God's called us. It's our responsibility to come alongside these people and tell as many as we can. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but how many of us are really doing that on a daily basis? Sadly, I think, and I can attest to it, I'm not as good about it as I would like to be. But this is the mentality, this is the thought that we have to have as we go through this. So, the good part is Satan is going to be with the Antichrist. He's going to be put into the pit for a thousand years. I'm not sure what that is, what that thousand years is, but in, first, in 2 Peter 3, 8-10, through 10, it says, 
But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that the Lord, with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Which that all leads us right to the peace that's going to come for that time during that millennial reign. So, in... If you look, go back to your Bibles in Revelation 20, starting in verse 4, we see then, I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge were committed. Also I saw the souls of these who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God. And those had not worshipped the beast or its image, and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares the first resurrection over such the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with Him for a thousand years. So, for all those that are that I know, I talk about the legislating morality. This is our time. This is the time for those those of us who are still there. If, if it happens in our lifetime, this is that time where Christ gets to reign, and will reign as King over the earth for this thousand years. And again, we don't know if it's a literal thousand years or what what it pertains. It depends on who you talk to, and when it comes down to it, we go back to Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine. Secret things belong to the Lord. I don't know. I'm not going to go there to what that necessarily means because that's a whole other sermon that's going to take a lot longer. And I don't want to do that one, to be honest with you. Um, <clears throat> but this time, the saints will reign, those who belong to Christ. But the thing is, those... We talk about that time to reign there will still be unbelievers. And I don't think we look at that at, at this time. The unbelievers haven't been banished to the lake of fire yet. We will reign as we are here on earth now, but the leadership that we have is going to be Christ. And I never really noticed it. I never really thought about that before until, again, I've been reading this so many times the last month. But... That is the awesome aspect that we, like I said, that we will get to reign and be with Christ reigning over that, over in that time. Um, but what, what, what takes, and I'm going to get back to that a little bit further in the next passage, but the struggle that we have in Revelation and throughout Revelation is this doctrine of the millennium mentioned only here in Revelation 20 and 20, has the doctrine of, sorry, I'm going to read this. The doctrine of the millennium, mentioned only here in Revelation 20, has generated significant controversy throughout the history of the church. Sadly, Christians have too often divided unnecessarily over the issue. 
I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but how many, I'm sure numerous, many of us have had these battles and these discussions and talking with other believers or non-believers about what the millennium is and what it's going to be like and what, if it's literally that thousand years or, or how it's going to be. And they're basically broken down into three major views. And again, I'm not going deep into this. I'm, if, if you would like information on this, we can talk afterwards and provide some direction in books. But this is one of those things that I, I don't, I don't like saying I a lot, but this is one of those things I will say I do not feel pressed to go deep into because I think, I'll get into it right here, first of all. The premillennium and premillennialism is the second coming comes before the millennium. Postmillennialism, second is coming after. Amillennialism, no literal millennium. And like I said, not going deep, but why am I not going deep? It's because Satan, he wants us to have these battles because he knows what's going to happen to him at the end of this millennial reign. He's in the lake of fire now, but he's going to be pulled back out for a time. Satan, is, I look at this as this is his last ditch effort, this time that we're living in right now, to divide us. He wants to divide us. He wants to mute God's word. He knows he can't. And I, I picture this as, a man on death row, someone on death row. He's got every last appeal he's trying to make to get off a of death row and to not be killed at the end of that. Satan, he knows where he's going. He is going to the lake of fire. He's doing everything he possibly can to bring as many people as he can with him. And what's our response? What, and what do we do? What are we doing? We should be grabbing those people and we can't make it happen, but we can profess God's word. I, I keep going back to that because all revelation is, is we should be professing the gospel of Jesus the whole time. That's what we need to be worrying about. In John 10, 10, it says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Again, Satan doesn't want that. He knows what his, he knows, we know his rap sheet. He knows his rap sheet. He knows what's going to happen to him. And again, he wants to bring everyone possibly he can with him. And sadly to say, he's brought a lot with him. But we know that Christ, it goes back to that gospel that Christ came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So I feel like I'm going a little bit fast, but... Um, we're going to go into uh, Revelation 20, verse 7 through 15, as we start to go towards the end of this chapter, or the end of this message. In 7, and when, the, if we get to me with, uh, in, in verse 7 of chapter 20, and when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather for them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea, and they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But five came down from heaven and consumed them, and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever. So, you ask yourself, Satan, Satan gets released from the 
the pit, God put him in there. Why is he letting him out? And this is one of those things that can be very confusing. People, why does God do the stuff that he does? Well, it's not my place to ask that. But why does God do it? For his glory. It's plain and simple. Everything, everything that happens from the before the Old Testament was written, everything is for God's glory. It may be confusing to us, but God will reveal it to us in time. And maybe he won't reveal it to us, but we have to trust and know that everything he's doing is perfect and it's planned out and has been planned out before he, is, before he created this earth. He's called his shots and he knows what he's going to do. So Satan gets his final shot, but it's to no avail because he's already, he's defeated now. And like I said, like I go back, he knows he's defeated. He's doing everything he possibly can. But he gets that final shot and then he's defeated. But the question is, why is Satan, why is Satan released? And again, for the glory of God, glory be to the God, but not everyone died on that first battle. We know that. Christ came for his millennium reign, and we as believers get to be there. However, there will be non-believers still living on the earth at that time. And that's a hard thing to fathom and understand when God is right there present. But we go back to what is our problem? Our problem is a sin problem. Human nature, we're sinful we are, all, we are all sinful human people. And during that time, there will still be sinners on earth. There will still be sin on earth. That's God, Christ is there reigning as the king because there has to be a judge when there's sin on the earth, when there's rules being broken. But the interesting thing is, even though Satan is gone at this time during this reign and he's in the lake of fire, he... Because of our human hearts, because of our sin nature, there still will be sin. Satan is, Satan is not the creator of sin. <clears throat> it's our hearts that are sinful. Satan is just that one that gets us spun up and whispers into our ear and tempts us, just like he did in, in Genesis 3 when he talks to Adam and Eve. He, tell, he, doesn't, he doesn't tell them what to do. He manipulates it, manipulates God's words to make them think that it's okay and start questioning things because at the time the Spirit of God was not in there to reveal to them at the time what's going on. So at this time, this is still an opportunity for us if, if, the, if it's happening while we're here or our ancestors down the road are here at the time, then it's that opportunity still to proclaim. We still have another, sh just like Satan has that other shot, not really a shot. We truly have another shot to profess God's, profess Christ's gospel to that lost, dying world, right up into the last minute. And it's going to—we're not going to get into the final aspect of things. That will be next week when Doug's back. But um, that final judgment, that second death, and into the lake of fire, Satan is only placed on that lake of fire for good. Um, at that time, we'll stand before the sovereign God of this universe. Um. But when I keep going back to this, and it's the most important thing. We, I'm sorry if everyone came here today. Well, I'm not sorry, but if you came here today to hear about Revelation and what it's going to be like um, and intricate details in the post-millennium, amillennium, pre-millennium, all that, 
you came on the wrong day, probably never gonna get that here, to be honest with you, because the most important part of, like I said before, of Revelation, this whole, this whole book is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not, again, I go back to, we want to get distracted, and Satan wants to distract us constantly. I pray that on a daily basis, that we're falling on our knees and praying to God to ex cancel out that distraction of Satan in our minds and that we can go on a, every day, wake up to a new day and have a chance to profess Christ's gospel to someone else, to that coworker, to our children, to our family members, um, to that stranger on the street, that neighbor down the road that we never talked to. Because when it comes down to it, we're all going to face our judgment. And when it comes down to it, at some point, Christ is going to come back. And this whole time in between is our opportunity to profess his gospel and pray that those people are listening. It's our responsibility. God is going to do the work. He's going to do the saving. There's nothing we can, we're never doing, we're never doing it in vain. And we got to be have peace with that. That nothing we do is in vain. Because when it comes down to it, Matthew 29, 28, 19 through 20 says, Therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. God, Christ is with us. God is with us all the way to the end. Even those days where we feel like he's not there, and we're struggling, and trust me, I felt it this week preparing for this message, and I felt it walking up here, but knowing Christ is right there with me, with us always, and he's commanded us to go out and profess his word to that lost and dying world, and I pray that we can go out and do that now. I, a little, a little tidbit I, I had, recently they, we had a, situation um it's in the news about stuff that happens some some death that was in the news i was talking to my dad about i'll say it and i was telling him like yeah we live in a dying world and my dad's grew up in the catholic church my dad still attends every day every sunday and i was talking to him about look dad we're we're in, we're in a dying world that's it's going to end someday and i tell you what i just wish it was i wish jesus would come tomorrow that's a hard thing to say, but I truly wish if Jesus came right now, I'd be, hallelujah, let's go. But there was a quiet moment right there. And after I said that, and my dad said, well, I, I kind of want the silver phone. I kind of wouldn't mind seeing tomorrow. I'm not quite ready. And that broke my heart. And I'm telling you this because I know every single one of us has someone in our world whether it be family, friends, coworkers, whoever it is, that thinks just like that. And that's where we have to be. We have to be professing and, and being bold about those types of messages that hopefully someday God will reveal to him what, what the truth is, that it's not about this world. It's not about this kingdom that we live in now. It's not about this United States of America or for another person, Russia, whatever country they live in. It's about the kingdom that's going to come and the king and the king that we're going to worship and we should be worshiping right now. And I pray that 
we all go out here every day and wake up and, and are ready and put on that battle, that battle armor, ready to go out and fight for him because he's fighting for us. So with that, I'm going to pray and close us out. And Lord God, I, I, I thank you. You are an awesome, awesome God. And awesome doesn't even begin to explain who you are. God, you are, your, the word for you is unsearchable. The Jews of old couldn't even say your name because it was so, so great. God, that they made up other names for you to be respectful to you, Lord. May we see you that way, Lord. May we trust in your plan. May not agree with it, Lord, but but that's that's our finite human minds that want to put you into this box and and say what we think you should be, Lord. May you correct us. May may you burn it into our hearts of who you are, that you are the, the Lord God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Your Son is our Savior and our King, Lord, and that one day, like you said, we can trust that you will come back and that we will worship at your feet, Lord. In the meantime, I pray that every single one of us here goes forward proclaiming your gospel to this lost and dying world and professing your kingdom to come. And Lord, may your kingdom come. I thank you and I praise your name. In the name of all names, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.